Hey everyone, this is Scott Leckie, your co-host on Jointly Venturing, a project of OneNessWorld.org, where we're going to explore the notion of world citizenship, what it means to be human in 2018, and how our politics globally, nationally, and locally need to evolve in a direction that yields the best results for everyone. So join us here every week with my co-host, Michael Moorhead, and let us know what you think. Enjoy episode one, everyone. Bye now. Scott, how can a world citizen movement unfold? You know, what do we need to do to build upon you know, the current world circumstances here in 2018? What do we need to do to build on that so that we can actually have uh, a meaningful world citizenship, world-centric participation uh, to match, you know, politically, to match um, you know, what's already going on economically? Where to begin answering that question? Well, citizenship is a very interesting notion. It's something that very few of the seven and a half billion of us on planet Earth uh, ever really even think about. It's something that's automatic. It's something that happens at birth. It's something o- over which we don't feel we have a great deal of control. Um, and let's spare a thought for a moment, by the way, for those who are not citizens, for people who do who have no citizenship in the world today, stateless people who probably number 20 to 40 million people across the world. And imagine what life would be like if you were not a citizen of any country. You had no country to turn to in a time of need. You had no country that was legally obliged to assist you and to protect your rights. And you can imagine what a a dismal reality that would be. And that's something happening all over the world today. So, Bear that in mind when we talk further about this whole question of citizenship. What is a citizen is is one of those big questions. And then ultimately, what is a world citizen? And, you know, from my personal experience, and I think that of literally hundreds of millions of others, um, a huge chunk of humanity is already living at a state of consciousness and a way of being and a way of living um, where for all intents and purposes, other than their legal status, they're living in, out their lives as if they were world citizens. Um, to a world citizen, what matters, what happens in Argentina matters in as much to you as what happens in your own country. What happens in Botswana matters as much to you. What happens in Thailand or Russia or anywhere else is what is important in the world. Because when you break it all down, ultimately, certainly there are very small superficial differences between human beings, but at their core, uh, the things that human beings share are infinitely greater in number than the things that we do not share. And it's those things that we do not necessarily share that in fact make life worth living. So, we are tied together, whether we like it or not, by let's just start with the DNA molecule that all of us share, that we share with all forms of life, trees and animals and everything else. Um, but certainly at the human level, all of us ultimately stem from one original DNA molecule, wherever that may have come about. And everything that we do and everything that we think is contingent upon 
that double helixed molecule. And so let's just start with that and then break it down a little bit and start thinking, why in the world in 2018 do we continue to divide ourselves into nation states, into races, into genders even, into income groups, classes, you name it. Why do we keep dividing ourselves into smaller and smaller units when in fact all members of every unit are ultimately the same? Well, it's got um, us and them is um, something that, um, you know, is is becoming more popular and we're seeing uh, what would otherwise have been a, an unfolding of oneness at a political level starting to break down with populism. Uh, we're seeing that at the moment. And um, <clears throat> some, and I would say that where you have, um, you know, an us and them, you've, you've automatically got a one. Um, they're two sides of the same coin. Um, is the is populism as we're experiencing it with Brexit and with Trump's America and Turnbull's Australia? Uh, are we experiencing like a spinning of the wheels where people can start to think, well, we do recognise the ultimate unity of people on the planet, and we're not willing to accept shouldering the taxation and climate change burden that. You know, corporate transnationals are avoiding because there is no world polity. Um, that sort of concrete issue uh, is something that confronts world citizens, is it not? Once again, a big question. You know, undoubtedly we are living currently in an era which I would reckon will be a very short-lived one, where neo-nationalism, populism, um, uh, politics centered on ethnicity and, and nationality are on the rise. But let's just look for a moment before we look at some of the other issues that may have caused that. Let's, let's look at what sort of outcomes that neo-nationalism is bringing about in the places where it's particularly prominent and ask ourselves if we if any of us would truly want to live in those conditions in those circumstances when we know what the ultimate outcome is going to be i mean um and the answer is no and why you know why why are we attempting to move backwards is the big question we need to ask ourselves what, what do we think that increasing nationalism and increasing populism is actually going to bring us do you really think that's going to make people happier do you really think it's going to make people uh, more prosperous, more safe, more secure, all of the things that we would associate with virtue in the world? And if you look at history and you look at the practice of how we have evolved politically over the centuries and over the millennia, then it's very clear anytime there's a move towards nationalism it always ends in dismal failure and more often than not in you know with horrible circumstances that you don't even really want to contemplate in this um day and age so on my hopeful days and really i guess pretty much every day um i see this new emergence of nationalistic tendencies as a very short-sighted and and quite shallow attempt to re regain a past that was never really there um in the first place 
And the unfortunate side effect of it all is that large numbers of people are essentially being manipulated to believe that the circumstances they're experiencing are all because of another, all because of some them out there, some mysterious nebulous them that is somehow trying to take away that which you wish you had or or which you do have. And when we look at politics, when we look at societies, when we look at the global economic system, and when we look at nature itself, when we look at ecological systems, the strongest systems, the ones that are most vibrant, that are most resilient, the ones that are most productive and the ones that yield the greatest joy are the ones with the greatest diversity. So why in the world would we want to attempt to turn the clock back and reduce diversity when we know that, in fact, diversity is the greatest strength of all? And ultimately, that's what world citizenship is premised on. World citizenship is about the simple fact that all of us, no matter where we were born and no matter where we live, are citizens of one unified planet, one place upon which all of us are 100% dependent, on which none of our future relatives and future generations can live on unless we protect it and preserve it, and who are now living in a world whereby the placement of borders and walls and artificial distinctions between nationalities are being used not only to undermine the incredible progress that has been made in terms of unifying the human race in so many ways, but also which is pushing us into an inevitable conflict between essentially all against all, fighting for a ever-declining amount of natural resources and clean air and clean water. Um, and that's a direction that really nobody would want to go if they, if they seriously thought it through. So with this podcast and, and generally what we're, what we're striving for is trying to get people everywhere to open their minds to this whole idea of world citizenship. What if you were born not only as a citizen of the country in which you live now or, or the, or the citizenship, which you acquired by virtue of migrating somewhere, Um, But what if you got that citizenship and you were accorded a global citizenship or a world citizenship status also upon birth? And that the political structures that you lived within and that you participated in and that you helped to mold as a democratic citizen of the larger global polity um, was actually able to incorporate your ideas um, more fully into its overall shape than you're able to do at the national or local level. And all of us have a role to play, of course, in our streets, in our neighborhoods, in our towns, in our villages, and ultimately in our nations. But we also have a role to play um, internationally. And the impact that one person can have locally is massive, but equally the impact that one person can have internationally is massive, and in fact, far more massive than most people even realize. But to achieve that, more and more people need to be brought into a state of being and understanding of the world 
that focuses on the similarities and the unity rather than the disunity and the dissimilarities. And we're not that far from doing it. Millions upon millions of people woke up today feeling much more like a world citizen than a national of the country where they're living. Unless they watched Fox News. Fox News is definitely not a... uh, entity that is seeking to promote the idea of world citizenship too much. That's for sure. Um, so what is it, Scott? I mean, I would like to um, think that uh, the increasing complexity of life on the planet um, engendered an increasingly sophisticated political structure um, that reflected the way economics has become increasingly global. But we are seeing, I think, um, a a mainstream media which is focusing on the distinctions between us as humans as a way of exploiting us. And that perhaps raises a new us and them. I mean, is it the humans against the corporations? Is it the middle class that's being bled by the nation states parliaments at a taxation level, is that to make up for the tax that's not collected from the corporates? I mean, why is it that perhaps the middle class is feeling like it is subsidising transnational economic rent-seeking? And is that something we need to be analyzing at a global level when it comes to things like climate change. I mean, we've read the last hours of ancient sunlight. Um, is, is it just a con? Are we just being conned by the fossil fuel industry? Or is this a step toward, is it a step, is, is that just part of the steps towards a, uh, a, more, a better designed planetary social system? It's very easy to be negative about the future, um, about the present. It's very easy to be pessimistic and, and, and hopeless. But without being overly optimistic, is it's very important to point out the progress that the human race has made um, over millennia, um, but particularly in the last 30 to 40 years in terms mm-hmm. of reducing extreme poverty, for instance, in terms of female representation within parliaments in terms of the eradication of certain diseases and, and, the, and the reduction and the prevalence of other diseases um, and a whole range of other very, very positive facts can be brought out to show that we have continued to evolve and we have actually improved in many ways. Um, but undoubtedly, um, not everybody has improved to the level that they were anticipating. And this is particularly the case in the Western world, whereby this current generation is one of the first in quite some time to feel that there's no assurance that their life will be better than that of their parents. And that's the first time that's kind of come about for probably three or four generations, at least, if not longer. And, um, you know, that's a very real world question. You know, people who are in their 20s now in many Western countries feel that they'll never have the opportunity to own a piece of land or or a home simply because property prices globally are so high. 
they feel that it'll be difficult to get a full-time job as the as the economy moves more into a gig economy direction um etc that their degrees their university degrees will be increasingly worthless um and and the list goes on and and unable to pay off student debt and what have you um so you know there's been all sorts of parallel developments which haven't been so positive um the fact that in many countries where education used to be universally free um it's now universally something to be paid for um where housing used to be accessible by the vast majority of people where now it's really only accessible by those who have a significant amount of capital um that they've built up over the years and the list also goes on there um but the bottom line is you know human beings created the system that we have human beings are continuing to run the system that we have and human beings are going to be the ones that make the decisions about whether our our species of humans continues to exist on this planet in a viable and hopefully prosperous and happy and peaceful way the, the singularity notwithstanding singularity is is one aspect um that we can discuss in more detail but the bottom line is we need more people more places who apply long-term thinking to how we actually want this planet to be organized and yeah. I, and I guess um Scott that's what this podcast's about isn't it I mean we we are hoping to engage others uh in this conversation and we're planning to include in our thinking uh some of the existing work that's being done around the planet uh towards um a, a more oneness perspective. Um, your concept of world citizenship is not novel. Uh, it's been around for, you know... Centuries. Yeah. And um, so I would be very interested in, in how listeners can explain how they see steps towards world citizen, citizenship taking place. My own um, view is that it's going to be an, an economic step, that it's going to involve taxation and infrastructure that's designed to increase the well-being of humans on the planet rather than increase the, hum the well-being of humans in a particular Western city. Um, something that addresses the movement of capital freely across the globe, but doesn't exploit the labour forces that are just stuck in some slum next to a city. And uh, we are seeing, you know, middle class India, middle class China, starting to unify with... Um, middle-class America, middle-class Australia, middle-class Europe. Uh, we've, we've got the same aspirations, but, and this is something I, I want to put to you, can we be world citizens and consumers? I mean, it, can we actually practice world citizenship when we are treating, and being, treating each other and being treated as con consumers? Do we need to flip that a bit so that we're not just consuming, we are actually contributing? It goes without saying that the entire global 
economic system that we've decided to uh, use is inherently based on growth within a finite system and the duty, in fact, to consume. And those two forces together have created not just economic circumstances that are increasingly worrying for ever-growing numbers of people who are not able to continue on an upward trajectory, but have had obviously devastating impacts upon the natural environment in the form of climate change and, and countless other forces, which um, are ultimately going to result in, for instance, large parts of planet Earth currently inhabited by people being increasingly uninhabitable as temperatures rise, as feedback loops begin to occur, and as climate change really begins to take hold in a manner by which it cannot be reversed. Virtually every scientist in the world agrees that it's because of human intervention in the natural environment that we have the climate change conditions that we're living through now. And it's only by coming together and going far beyond what was agreed at Paris in 2015 to find new ways of grappling with this challenge. And the more people realize that all of us are in this together, that all of us are both part of the problem through our consumption, through our lifestyles, and equally part of the solution that we can finally move forward and create the sustainable economy the regenerative economy that we need to have in order for humans to exist on this planet in a sustainable way for thousands upon thousands of more years. And ultimately, that's the question. Do we care as a species enough that we need to have a planet on which to live whereby every single person can live life to the absolute fullest? And are we willing to take the steps that we need in order to do that? Are we willing to realize that it's not material things or consumption that ultimately bring happiness or contentment, but a whole range of other, let's say, non-material things that in fact may bring infinitely higher levels of happiness and, and joy to people than simply buying another pair of shoes or, or, do, or doing what, whatever with the, the, the income that they have. So we really need to start thinking big, and we can begin that thinking process by simply taking the vantage point that Earth matters to everyone. You are everyone. You yourself are everyone, and everyone is you. And the quicker we realize that collectively, that every single thing we did today, all of us, every breath we took, every step we took, every place we looked, every inch we drove or every bite we took of food has an impact upon ourselves and upon the rest of the planet. There, are, there is nobody today and there is nobody on any day who doesn't have some sort of impact upon planet Earth, its, it's present and, and most importantly, its future. So all of us are in this together. All of us as one human race, one human species, all of whom want ultimately the same thing, none of whom want our children to suffer, none of whom want themselves to suffer. And we share at the very least that. 
So let's start focusing more on the things that we, we do want. Who wants to breathe dirty air? Who wants to live through a bushfire that destroys their house? Who wants to walk their child to school along a polluted river? Who wants to eat food that is pesticide-laden and, and causes cancer? And the list goes on and on and on. It's very clear what most of us do not want. But what is it that we do want? And I believe in the deepest part of my soul that what we all want is for human life to continue. For war to be banished to the annals of history for growing prosperity to occur, but only in a way that is truly sustainable within an economic system that doesn't simply measure growth or gross, or gross domestic product, but that measures all the other things that are truly meaningful to people. Very few people on their deathbed say, oh, I wish I earned more money throughout my lifetime. Oh, I wish I bought more things. I wish I went to the mall more. I wish I pushed the accelerator on my car more and created more CO2 for the atmosphere. How many people would truly say that on their bed, deathbed? What people say on their deathbed is, I wish I spent more time with my kids. I wish I was more involved in my community. I wish I, I was more productive making things that were of true benefit and use to people. That's ultimately when the going gets rough, when you're at the bitter end, that's what most people, most places are thinking so let's think about those things, not only on our deathbed, but let's think about those as we go about our business in, in any ordinary day. Whether we're in Uruguay, or whether we're in Alaska, or whether we're in Papua New Guinea, or anywhere. And imagine that every single thing that we do has an impact upon everybody else. And how, how would we change the way we live if we have that level of awareness? And ultimately, just really being kind. It's as simple as that. Just try to be kind for one whole day to everyone that you encounter. How many of us have actually done that ever, let alone on a daily basis? Simply being kind. Seeing the similarities that we all share, first and foremost. Looking at that little kernel of enlightenment that exists within every single person, including the worst people on planet Earth, the worst human rights violators, the cruelest abusers, Everyone everywhere has that kernel of enlightenment within them, that light of hope and, and utter awe at how wonderful life is. Just harder to get to for some people. But let's be kind to them as well. And the more people think like this, the automatically then comes the utter absurdity of nationalism and of populism and of national borders. Go up in a spaceship one day and look down at planet Earth and see how many borders you can actually see. You won't see very many because they're completely made up. They're made up. They're fictions. They're legal fictions made by humans to distinguish ourselves arbitrarily from others who aren't, in quotes, like us. We've really passed the stage of human evolution where we need to do that. And we need to start embracing each other more and ultimately realizing that we're all sharing this earth and we're all relying on it at the same time. So let's just make a giant party out of it. 
let's have fun. Let's travel the world. Let's em embark on endless journeys, jointly venturing to areas that may seem scary and and awe-inspiring all at the same time, but which are ultimately so worth going to, whether it's just in your own mind or actually physically. And pushing the limits of our daily reality into something where all of us together wake up tomorrow and say, my life is as valuable as yours, and ultimately yours is as valuable as mine. Oh, super cool, Scott. And uh, really look forward to the next podcasts and, and the guests that uh, can enlighten us more on this journey. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.